dude i have like three or four of those now <laughs> you? yeah yeah i'm getting I'm, i don't know if that shit's distracting distracting me uh okay I'm, I'm i'm cool now i'm ready my this whole room is like a bomb went off because i'm packing when are you leaving tonight three well to, tonight tomorrow morning three three fifteen in the morning yeah Jeez. jesus christo jesus christo and i'll be in um I'll be in Nashville 7 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, woo. You're gonna have it's to get crazy. Here. It's crazy to travel that long and arrive the same day. You got a jet lag routine? No, that's a good question. Do I? Except for taking power through it. Like, I don't power through it. Yeah, I mean, so, so a couple things. One would be shift like your food schedule. So like make sure to eat breakfast and shit like that uh, at like the Nashville time the next day, if you can. Um, and I hear melatonin as well will like push your circadian rhythms. So like you want to eat when, you know, reasonable hour in, in the morning, maybe get some morning sunlight and take some melatonin, at, you know, at night before bed. That's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For that, may, that all makes sense. I don't know oh, but I, for, I forgot. You, you, you can sleep anywhere at any time. Like taking naps and shit like that. Like, I just, I can't nap. So I could probably, I could probably lay down right now, put my head down and, and fall asleep right now. I mean, it is. Nine ten o'clock at night there. It's seven. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Oh, is this sparkling? It's Evian. If you can't read that, we went from Lacroix to Evian. <laughs> Abu Dhabi. Oh. Yeah, man. So I, I today I had to go buy. I bought some gifts. Um. For the kids, you know, some some folk. I got you something. Oh, you didn't have to do that. <laughs> like, isn't that what everybody says? But they're like, no, but I'm glad you did. Everybody says that shit. Um, I hope it's a camel, a racing camel. It is. <laughs> Dude, can I tell you, can I tell you what my morning was like yesterday? Yeah. So um, I'm driving to work and I'm about 20 minutes out. At this point, there's nothing like on the sides of me. There's just dunes, you know what I mean? Just sand, desert. And I'm admiring the sunrise as I always do. It's like really pretty. And my fucking tire goes. Okay, like no big deal. This shit happens, happens to me before. Um, so I pull over. I go, I grab the spare tire. I grab the tire iron, the jack. I'm like, great. I have everything. I go to use the tire iron and it's slipping. So like it's warped or like, you know, kind of like stretched out. So it's not biting on the lug nuts. And I'm like, so I'm, I'm over here sweating already, like pushing on it, trying to do everything I can. Big rigs are like zipping by. I'm like, you know, it, it's already annoying. 
so I get back in the car and I'm like thinking, okay, I was like, I got to call my boss. I got to let him know what happened. Take pictures. So then there's proof. So he doesn't think I'm just like skipping out on work. Like I, so I, I send all these messages. I make all these calls to try to figure out like what my next step is. Um, so I call a recovery truck. The recovery truck's like, dude doesn't really speak good English, but eventually he says, tire punch. And I was like, yes, tire damage gone. And he goes, oh, okay, okay, okay. You just need change. I was like, change, that's it. And he goes, okay, 15 minutes. And I'm like, bullshit. 15 minutes here is like 15 minutes in Nicaragua, which could be 30 to 45. So I'm like, okay, no big deal. However long it takes. While I'm waiting for the recovery truck, a dude pulls up, like a young guy. He comes out and um, he's really, really cool. He was like, hey, where do you work? I tell him. He's like, awesome. He's like, we're brothers. He's like, I'm police. And I was like, oh, cool. He's like, uh, I have a, a tire iron. I can help you out. I was like, okay, cool. It's too big. So like, it doesn't fit in the slot. So it doesn't work. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I was like, there's a recovery truck coming. And he's like, when did you call them? I was like, about 15 minutes ago. He said, when did they say they'd be here? I said, 15 minutes. He's like, he's like, give me the phone. He's like, call them now. So he puts, uh, I put him on speaker and he starts speaking Arabic, like yelling into the phone. And I hang up and he goes, they haven't left yet. Then I was like, God. he's all, and they're in Sanaya. He's like, which is 20 minutes away. So he's like, it's going to be a while. I was like, all right. He goes, I could bring you in. What do you want me to do? He's like, I could bring a, uh, he's like, I can get a patrol car out here to like pick you up and take you to work. I was like, it's all right, man. I'm going to stay with the car. I still have to figure out some registration things with the car. So I don't really want to deal with police. <laughs> dirty a little bit. Um, so I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm just going to stay. He goes, okay, here's my number. Let me know if anything, like if nothing happens, if you need help. I'm like, cool. Thanks, man. So shout out to Khalifa from the, the AD police. Cause he was real cool. Um, finally, they come two Pakistani guys, good guys. They have a, uh, they bring out the tire iron. They try to use mine as if they didn't believe me. And it slips and he goes, too much tight. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's why I called you. Like I could, t I, could, I could change a tire, but I called you for this. They don't understand this thing. I'm just venting at this point. So they try to use theirs. They can't get it the lug nuts were over torqued so they had to use like an impact like air uh drill right with the socket yeah, yeah but they had a they tried it it wasn't coming off they tried it three different times and they had to let this huge air tank build up so they can actually get it off so that took a while they get it off they change it i pay the man more than i should have for a ch for changing a tire but whatever i get on the road they they come behind me not not a kilometer dude that thing blows the spare tire goes oh, no. boom this time the first tire was just like a gash because i know I, I felt that i ran over something on the road the second time was like boom, like i just see rubber flying and it was like oh my god dude so i, I pull over they pull over behind me they they were probably like yes more money 
And this is an easy one, you know? So we look at the tire, the entire wall, the inside wall is just like busted open. And he's, and he looks at it and he's all, this tire is from 2012. I'm like, geez, he's like, it's old. This is what we're going to do. He takes my wheel, takes it back to his shop to put on a tire. He's like, I'll bring it back. We'll put it on. I said, that sounds like my only choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm updating my boss and he like, you know, send some, some gifts or gifs you know, whatever. Uh, and yeah. he sent <laughs> their yeah. gifts, right? Like gifs is yeah, weird. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's a peanut butter. So, yeah. but it doesn't say anything. He just kind of sends these gifts that are like fun. Like they're supposed to be funny, but I'm just not, I'm not having it. Anyway, I'm waiting for these dudes. 45 minutes. He sends me a message. I'm like, this better be a, I'm on my way mes message. It's a picture of a tire. And he goes, how do you like this one? We're shopping right now. I go, okay, send a thumbs up. I said, okay, that one, put it on and hurry. 10 minutes later, he sends me another one. He goes, this one's from Thailand. Do you like this one? I'm like, yes. Okay. Put it on the wheel. Bring it out to me. They come out. It's an hour later from the time that he messages from, he sends that message. He brings me some tea. Some karak, which is milk tea in the little cup. Y'all motherfucker were, I was like, you guys were lounging. You were you guys were sitting around drinking tea. Like I know you were taking a break. Not that you should make me a priority, but make me a priority, goddamn. <laughs> I'm sitting out in the middle of the desert. <laughs> Jesus, dude. So <laughs> so finally, like, you know, we get the shit on. I'm back on the road. I tell my boss, he's like, okay, cool. Let me know when you're, when you're at work. I tell him I'm at work. I'm going to report to your office. He goes, okay. I don't see him. I go, Hey, I'm at your office. He says, wait there for me. An hour later, I message him like, Hey, did you still want me to wait for you at the office? Oh, you can leave. He's like, everybody's gone. I was like, Geah. what did he want to see you about? They have to see me to uh, mark me as present, uh, even though there's nothing to do right now. Gotcha. Man, So you spent a lot of time waiting yesterday. It was nothing but One of my least away. favorite things to do on the planet. Is Dude, waiting. it was, it was, it, but I, I thought of this while I was waiting for, for my boss. <laughs> I thought of this. If that second, if I had changed the tire myself, or if that second tire hadn't blown in front of those guys, it could have happened on the way back to Abu Dhabi. I would have had to like tow the car. It would have taken up a whole day. It could have happened today. And I have a flight to catch. You know what I mean? And that was my morning. <laughs> Sounds miserable. Yeah, it's dude. Like no, it was, it was good. It, it was all right. It was all right. It was a lesson in patience and a lot of other things. <laughs> bargaining i still haven't quite learned the patience on waiting like waiting's tough i luckily i had uh i finished that audiobook that i was telling you about the the courage uh, to be disliked yeah i want to hear about this because i i looked it up 
And Did you? I'm going to buy it, I think, and read it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like based off of um, Alfred Adler's psychology. And uh, that's just a lot of it. And I'd love to get your, I'd love to just get your take on this. Um, and then we can, we can talk about that one question that, you know, that I asked you before we got off that last one. Technically, that's how I expected to start this. But um, <clears throat> the book says that there is no trauma. Essentially, there's only the here and now, which means that you have the power to just make the switch. Saying, though, those words, there is no trauma at a time right now where mental health is, mental health awareness is, you know, it's expanding. A lot of people are kind of standing themselves a little bit better, you know, self-awareness type things. And trauma is such a, a serious word because, you know, a lot of bad shit happens to a lot of people and it, and it does affect personality and behavior. So yeah. what do you think? There is no trauma. Doesn't I, exist. So, so I don't know if I would. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, so, well, actually, I have many thoughts on this, I think. Like, so, so and this might be a hot take, and I, I don't mean it, like, in, to, to belittle anybody's experience or anything like that. But I do think trauma is used a lot as sort of a scapegoat and an excuse to not make changes. It, it's sort of like um, going back to uh, when we talked last time that, or the last episode um, where we were talking about um, uh, blame versus responsibility. And right. I feel like the idea of trauma in a lot of, to a lot of people sort of, it, or it, not always, but it can like sort of, remove that responsibility from people but I do I, I have looked at you know my own experience and I think uh like you brought up Michael Singer and I think this goes in sort of in line with what he talks about in uh everything he's ever talked about which is the idea of samskaras mm. um, like these mental imprints on your mind and now regardless of the metaphysics or the woo behind the, the this idea of samskaras we, we can all see it it's like for instance samskaras um, are also kind of can they be considered like stuck energy too yeah that, that's what he describes them as which I, I think that would just be another word for what people are calling trauma um yeah it's just it's to me it's the same idea it's like uh and i do think it it does, at least from my experience, seem to work this way, where it's like, say you have, back in the day, my first love, her name was Emily Cowan. I haven't heard of Emily Cowan. Oh, she, man, man, I, I was in a deep, dark depression after this whole thing. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> she was like, my, the mine. first love of my life and shit. And, you know, I, I was like 19 and, uh, um, I was like, oh, I'm going to marry this girl, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But she had this uh, blue Honda. Uh, it was like a Civic hatchback. And it was like a 1990 something Civic hatchback. And uh, 
so after we broke up, anytime I saw a Honda Civic hatchback, my brain would just intrude on my experience you know, my brain would start going and then I'd have this whole relive this whole experience of, you know, breaking up with Emily and all, all overseeing a fucking car. And that's just sort of an extreme example, but it happens with everything. No, no. I mean, that's a real example, though. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it happens that way. It's just a boom. We what we call triggers, right? Like it, it could be something that you're not even expecting. Absolutely. Well, but like yep. whereas the blue Honda Civic might be something that you're like okay i know that this exists but until until that happens you don't know yeah it could be a lot of things yeah yeah so so i do think that like when you're sort of in the zone like the flow or you know not necessarily like the flow state like they talk about but just like you're living your life there's nothing intruding on your mind you're you're in the moment and i i don't mean that is in like some complex metaphysical thing i'm just saying you're paying attention to whatever's in front of you like no no, no thoughts in your mind are intruding on your current experience you, you do you understand what i'm saying yeah like it's, that's it's what just, playing tears of the kingdom does exactly there you go when you walk through life and you you have all these experiences uh, you know some are bad experiences and they imprint on your mind something and then when you experience something similar to it later on your mind gets overly active and then that the the voices in your not voices in your head like but you know we all have that head where we talk to ourselves not like inner monologue the chatter yeah the chatter yeah just the chatter the chatter starts up when you're I don't do it as much anymore but I used to it's easy to get caught up in that dialogue and you think it's yeah. real and, and yeah. this and that. Yeah. But to me, I think that's what, what trauma seems to be. And I, I think that, I mean, I'm interested to hear more about what the book says, but just riffing on it. Um, those feelings and thoughts can't do anything to you. Like, that's an important lesson to learn, you know? Like, they, they don't feel good, sure, but they're, they're not... And, you know, on one level, you could say, if you don't deal with them somehow constructively, and and uh, I would say, like, transmute that negative energy into positive. So it's like, it can cause stress, which obviously is not healthy. So I mean, you want to take care of it. So they can kind of hurt you in like a indirect way, where over the length of time, if you keep doing this, and you're stressing yourself out, your cortisol not sleeping level. not eating it, yeah, yeah if it starts to fuck with your day-to-day the things that keep you healthy which which is a very real thing i mean that happens that's happened to me for sure i've been i've been in those like those moments in my life where you let the the intrusive thoughts kind of just take over for a while from what I've seen is it's it's these moments where something triggers you and the mind starts going and you you give into it you know unwittingly because it's smart like you know David Goggins talking talks about like your mind knows you better than anybody else on this entire planet so when it talks to you and those thoughts aren't coming from you like it's like the best con man yeah yeah absolutely 
And so you're going to believe that shit if you don't take a step back and, and, you know, you know, there's all kinds of tools that I've learned to use to deal with this kind of stuff. And, um, but I, I think I, that aspect of it is absolutely real, but you know, whether we call it trauma or, or whatever, you know, I, I don't think that necessarily matters, but I, I do think there are things imprinted that you need to take, you, not take care of, but you can just ignore your mind. It's hard. I mean, it's not easy a lot of the time, but yeah. you can, that's, I mean, that's the entire point of meditation. That's the entire point of, uh, you know, mindfulness, that, that entire thing is it's taking the focus. Cause I've thought about this a lot, like how much will do we actually have? Like how much, because if you look at it, there's all kinds of things like, you know, take for eating, for example, generally when we want to eat, it's not you're not responsible for when and what you eat to to as much of a degree as you would think like you, you might be really hungry and then it's okay whatever I have around me I'm going to eat but you weren't like willing like you know I'm going to eat all this stuff that uh that I don't have access to or something like that like you can't just magically manifest like um you know, papayas or some shit, if it's, if you don't have them around you or something like that. So you're sort of constrained by the world around you and how it's unfolded. Do you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so you don't have like ultimate will there, but I do think if we have nothing other than this, I think it, it's okay. Is we have the, the ability to focus our awareness. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we can focus it in the mind field, like, like, you know, that the experience of inside where um, we sort of get into this dialogue with the mental chatter. And that takes us out of, you know, this is an entirely different discussion, but what people call the real world, like the world right in front of you, it takes you out of that. And I have a feeling it gives you sort of a sense of control when you don't feel like you have control, where you can control these things in your mind with, and, and you're not really controlling it, but you're sort of taking action on something in your mind. So you're, you are taking action, which makes you feel like you're doing something. Um, yeah, but there's, you run the risk of, were you going to finish a thought? I'll let you finish that thought. Uh, the, the finishing of that thought is that you can choose where to focus your awareness, your attention. And that's the point of meditation is to learn to refocus your attention because a lot of times it's just habitual. You're on autopilot yeah. and your attention goes to whatever is the most pressing thing to you. And that may be thoughts in your mind. That may be, um, you know, a literal fire in front of you. It, it could be all kinds of different things. What, whatever gets your attention, um, it tends to just pull to it like a magnet. I think the secret yeah, is... I be able to place it where you want it at any time and that's a practice absolutely it's a practice because autopilot's a hell of a thing and you probably think you have more control than you really do and you instead of engaging in the practice of refocusing your attention or like we've talked a lot about this of observing our thoughts right there is, if, if you're not doing that and you're not learning how to do that, you can, you can fall into escapism like really easily. Like, 
happens all the time. You do things that make you feel good at in that moment to escape reality. And I think a lot of us, I think we all do that in some way. Some are more damaging than others, but I think we all do that in some way. Can I say one thought real quick that just came up? I was reading an interesting book. Uh, I think it was D.T. Suzuki, who's like a famous uh, Zen Buddhist writer. And he was talking about there, there was this wandering Zen master that walked around in Japan, I think, and he didn't have any belongings, you know, like your standard ascetic uh, monk. And um, somebody asked him, you know, how do I find enlightenment or, you know, whatever Zen? Um, and he said, just sit in a chair. And I think that that's some real shit right there. Like, that's all you need to do. That's it. And and the, the entire lesson is there is if you can sit down with nothing going on, nothing happening, nothing, and just sit there. It's coming from the guy who says he hates to wait. Oh, absolutely. I do. <laughs> and that is, that's dude, that's just sitting there. Yeah. Like, I've tried to put my phone away. It's crazy how your hand just goes to your pocket when as soon as you think you're going to be bored, it yeah. already goes to that spot. Like I, I, I couldn't just sit there. I think I, I totally agree with Michael Singer on this. I think it, like practices, if they help, are great. Um, like Like meditation practices, but I don't even think it requires that. I think it requires... One, fundamentally understanding the nature of your mind. And I don't think that's that complex because um, we have to realize that if you look at a tree, you're outside and you look at a tree, that tree is not you, right? That tree is not Freddie. No, not last yeah, I checked. That, that tree is not Freddie. And then... You, you have to go down this mental path of figuring out what is you and what is not you. And I think a lot of times people think their emotions are, are themselves, mm. like they are them, but they're not. They're the same as the tree. They're not you. And I think the fundamental thing that people have to realize that I had to learn, or, and, you know, I think for me, it was just because I was interested in this and kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. Um, is that the things that go on in your mind are not you. You're the one that's back there watching it. So let me, on, on that, let me let me say, because a, a couple things from the book. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So he, he says that all problems, every single one of them, is interpersonal problems. But they all stem from your interaction or perceived interaction or desired interaction with other human beings. That's interesting, right? It all comes from there. And that, you know, something that's more Jungian and, and Freudian is the cause and effect. My parents did this, therefore I'm like this. Whereas he says it's more like we will use certain things. That can certainly be true because of defense mechanisms and personalities and things like that. Like you've kind of built things. 
which is why he says that problems are interpersonal problems, especially in the past and the way you think of things. But that people cre create a fear or an anxiety in order to achieve a goal. Say that again. People will create a fear or an anxiety in order to achieve a goal. Let me give you an example. You want to go out. You want to be more social. You want to get out more. You, you, you're like, I want friends. I want this. I want that. I want to be more social. I want a, I want a circle of, of people. But you just have this, this fear, this crippling thing that keeps you inside. And you're like, I just wish I could. Okay. It's that thing where it's like, you can say, where does that fear come from? You know, what was the trauma that caused you to shut yourself in? But what he's saying, what, what the author is saying is that really, you don't want to go outside. You want to believe that you want to go outside because you think that that's how you should be. So you're fighting yourself. It's like yourself, your real self, your true self, the lie, or your true self versus the lie you tell yourself based off of what you should be doing. I, like, I, I want to go mountain biking. No, I fucking don't. <laughs> like, really, I don't. It sounds cool. I want to be able to tell people like, I got together with my mountain biking friends and we went down this sick trail, like down the dune. But really, like if like right now, earlier today, yesterday, I didn't, I, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to do that tomorrow. And that's a real thing, like fighting that, saying that yeah. out loud kind of sucks because I always say, I think it'd be cool to mountain bike. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's I think that's beautiful. I do agree with that. Um, and I've thought about that a lot myself. And one of the things so I'm I'm always you know me, I'm always experimenting and trying to like come up with, you know, I'm always exploring my experience and that type of shit. And uh, always doing weird things that I that I kind of think of <laughs> that I think might help. And one of the things that I think really helped with that was I, I understood while I was watching myself interacting with the world that there was a lot of things that I should want. And I felt like you're like, you're right. It was like, I should want this. And that somehow manifested as I do want this in, in my experience. But every night for, I don't know, it was probably two months. I would grab a notebook and I would go in by myself and I had one writing prompt. And it was, if you were going to die in one year, what would you do? Like, how would you live your life? Do you and have that? Do you have, do you have your response written somewhere? No, I threw it away because it was used against me in court. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a classic Jake answer, dude. Yeah, yeah. It was? Oh man, she had pictures of that shit. My lawyers were said it, it said here that you you know you would divorce your wife and you know go be with this woman or something like that. <laughs> you know, and I was like, you don't understand why I was doing that. Like, I didn't really mean any of that. Like, so it was I, I considered it a safe space when I was doing it. Yeah, and imagine you trying to explain to them a thought experiment. 
oh, I did in the deposition. Like, uh, and my lawyers were like, that was the most eloquent thing we've ever seen in a deposition. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they had a party bravo, at their dude. afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, but, um, so I, I considered it as what I really wanted to do was bypass any sort of moralizing bullshit that I would put on myself. Like, because there's so much stuff that it's like, you shouldn't want this. Like, and it's all over. It, it's every, we live in such a moralizing world where it's just like, you're beat over the head with shoulds. You should do this. You should do that. You should, nah, nah, nah. should, 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 should. The so shirts. I wanted to, as Nietzsche talks about in the Zarathustra, is slay those, the dragon. And on that dragon, every scale is a thou shalt. So every scale on this dragon that you have to fight is a should. You should do this. You should do that. Yeah. So I wanted to bypass the shoulds. So I just gave myself permission to sort of like stream of conscious writing where it was like, I didn't, I didn't care if it came out that, but how about like, I want to cheat on my wife or something like that. Um, I would totally let, allow myself to write that. Um, so anything that came up that I thought I would write. And then slow, like at first it was funny because I think there was a lot of maybe anger in there. So there was a lot of just like bad shit, like that, that if people read it, it's like, oh God, you know, but then. Dude, for her to use that. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they thought that like. That's, a, I mean, that was a clever move. It was a clever move. Cause it's like. <laughs> But the prompt was specific and you knew that it was going to bring out kind of some deep, dark shit. Cause that's the point was yeah. to get rid of the shoulds yeah. to get rid of the thou shalt. Yep. There's actually, uh, for all of you uh, fantasy readers out there, I finally got into Brandon Sanderson. So I'm reading the Mistborn series. Um, and I'm on the hero of ages, which is the third book. And there was a really great quote in there. And um, one of the characters said, if, if you give up everything that you, paraphrasing, right? If you give up everything that you want for the things that you think you should want more, you will end up miserable. And I was like, that was good. Because that's a lot of the things that we do. Like, I want this but I should want more money. I should want to wear suits instead of just black t-shirts and shorts. Like I should want to do this. You are a father. You should want to do that. And I think slaying the dragon, I feel like I'm actively doing that out here. Not to, you know. No, I, I agree. But, but I do feel that way. Which <laughs> brings me to the prompt. Did I run away or am I giving myself space? Or so, I mean, maybe those aren't the two options. Am I running away? So for I'm, I'm thinking like this came to mind that, so there is a safeguard, I think, for, because I think when I first started that writing exercise, um, 
you know, part of it was kind of scary because, you know, you mentioned Jung, like in his sense of like, I was giving my shadow self sort of, like he calls it the anima. I, I was sort of giving that aspect of myself free reign. Free reign right. to yeah. streak across the quad. Yeah. And we have, I don't care what anybody says, all humans have a dark side to them individually. And I think a lot of times the most moralizing ones have the most of the dark, like the dark side. Or um, if you grew up repressed or people telling you, no, you can't say that. Don't do that. You need to act like this. You need to be this. Yeah, yeah that's all more. You start to build it all you have, up. You, you yeah. have to you have to tear it down. So this is so there is a safeguard, I think, to that anima, that shadow self, like allowing it to come out. Cause like so there was some outlandish shit that I wrote in there. And um, but I think we all have values. And I think values are the are another key to this, is that I noticed that I didn't value what everybody else values. Like, like for instance, um, and this is going to sound really bad, but I don't, and this doesn't mean that I'm a, a crazy, you know, um, psychopath, but we live in a, in a society where compassion is supposed to be like paramount, the number one value. And I just don't care about it. I'm not a mean guy. I'm not, I mean, most people that meet me and know me say, you seem like such a compassionate guy, but it's not. What, what if it's semantics here? What if it's the definition of compassion or maybe your view of compassion given society's definition of compassion that they are putting out? Maybe Christianity's definition of compassion. Yes, yeah, but I don't want to go around a value. A value is something that motivates you to take action in the world. So every action that we take behind it is a value. And, you know, we can't necessarily name that value, but the, but we can try to describe it maybe. Like, um, for instance, uh, a lot of people are really motivated by money, like their value, and they, they lie to themselves. They act like maybe they, that's not their number one value, but it's just watch what the, how they act. They spend mm -hmm. all their time trying to hustle, the you know, all this fucking productivity shit and stuff. And it's like... Uh, their number one value, regardless of what they say, because I've noticed a lot of people say a lot of things, but their actions don't line up to it. Uh, if you watch people, you can see what their values are. Um, you know, and some people it might be money, some people it might be sex, very few people is it actually compassion, but they'll tell you it's like compassion and, and this sort of thing. Um, so I'm what I'm saying is it's not that I don't have compassion. When I come into contact with another human being, I will give them respect I, I might not necessarily ease their suffering, which I think is what compassion is meant to be. Um, I think, I think you, I think you would. I, like, honestly, I, I think that you would, I like, I like how you differentiated it. You can show compassion. Like it doesn't drive my actions. Like I don't go out and look for reasons to be compassionate. <laughs> well, the book says it's like everybody has their own task to do. He says, do not intrude on other people's tasks. 
And I think that that's, that, that, that's, uh, that's interesting. Well, anyway, I wanted to say this particular thing because we, you, we mentioned feelings last time. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we're circling back, coming around and, and parking the car, dude. That's what Love this feels it. like. <laughs> we talked about feelings. And one quote was to not be, to not be disliked means to constantly gauge other people's feelings while swearing loyalty to all of them. Can you repeat that? I, sorry, not, I'm listening, but I, I just need to hear it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a mouthful. To not, to not be disliked means to constantly gauge other people's feelings while swearing loyalty to all of them. I totally agree with that. As a as a, a recovering people pleaser, that's me, bro. Yeah, but what I, I found, in, I I totally agree with that. But I have found that you can go against it, and that's that may be strong wording, but you can be yourself, like with your own um, task, and stay on that path. And people will still generally like you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can it be like turns out that you will actually be in service of people more when you just leave them the fuck to their tasks and you and you do yours. If you're, you know, if you're a family man and you have responsibilities, those are your tasks. I have to read this because this is I just realized and in I think you you kind of saw it earlier and I it just dawned on me. This is the problem I'm talking about with compassion. Yeah. This is why I was so excited to talk to you. I I mean I I finished it in 3 days. I was like it, it it's it's a lot of what we've talked about. And you and I have kind of just talked about it bits and pieces you things that we've kind of come up with and we what we've observed. But there's a lot of what we talked about in here. Like lying to others the what they call the life lie why you do things is it compassion is it altruism is it is it money but you say like workaholics for example like they don't maybe they don't want to go home maybe they find more value in themselves at work than they do in their home so they don't want to go back there maybe maybe they don't like their fucking kids yeah. So, but they'll say it's because I put food on the table. Yeah. yeah. It's because I do this for us. It's a life lie. Right. Yeah. And we talked about excuses last time. That's what those are. And there's a lot of really interesting things here when you when you start to contemplate. Have I ever created a fear? Or have I ever leaned on a fear or an anxiety in order to achieve a goal? A goal, good or bad? Well, and a lot of times is, I think it's used to avoid, right? Which is a goal in itself. Which is like a goal in and of itself. Avoid. <laughs> That's the thing is that you have to look at it. Is, is it a goal? It, is it something that I secretly want to happen? as the result 
and you can say all day, I didn't want this to happen. If one takeaway that I would want everybody to get is I personally don't care if you want to go lie to everybody on the entire planet, whatever, that's fine. It takes a lot of courage to not lie to yourself. And it's hard to pick out what you're lying to yourself about. And people need to do whatever they need to do, whatever, whatever works for them. They need to experiment with it to figure out those lies and be honest with themselves. And it's scary. It takes a lot of courage because it's very scary because your entire ecosystem for lack of a better term your your network you know all this shit you think depends and it might very well depend on it when you quit drinking you you part of your network goes away you know when you stop doing certain things when you start believing certain things when you stop doing this part of it goes away so it takes a lot of courage to be true to yourself to or to be honest with yourself yeah like if i'm asked why did i stop drinking i i mean i can go on we we did go on we did a whole like a whole section of the episode about being yeah. healthy but really if you know me you know what it is <laughs> you know it's too much can i hit you with a quote yes destiny is not something brought about by legend but by clearing away with his own sword. I like that. What's that from? I'm going to have to check, back check this. Yeah, it's all good. But I, I believe it's like uh, Alexander the Great in reference to the Gordian Knot. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> so yeah. um, oh, speaking of fact check, before we, we pop off, Camels have top teeth. <laughs> they just this is what I meant to say. This is what I meant to say. Camels yeah. don't have top front teeth. Uh, so that's why they they do that thing where they're like gumming their food. Dude, you've done more fact checking on camels <laughs> or retractions on camels than I've ever seen. Dude, like we're gonna one, have one camel fact it. every single episode. Hey, I like it. I like it. Camel, so camel milk is really good. They say it gives you, let me let me say it the way they say it. And not, this is not, I'm not trying to be racist. I just like the way they say it. It gives you power. <laughs> power. You power. And this is, this is how they say it. Love camel it. milk gives you power. So instead of taking those pills, drink you a little camel milk. Let's do it. <laughs> I guess that's that's one way to end it. Um, all right, bro. I know you need to go. I uh, I was really pumped to to share all this with you. And if you do read it, you know, let us know what you think. Yes, sir. All right, brother. Look forward to seeing you, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bro. Later.